invite you to open your Bible with me tonight to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and then we'll turn back to chapter 5 as we look at the fifth beatitude. It's good to be here uh, tonight. I was just thinking there's really no better place in the whole world for us to be tonight than uh, right here tonight. Uh, with our brothers and sisters in the presence of God, opening the Word of God as uh, Jesus speaks to us about the kingdom that He's called us to. And uh, so I hope you have uh, joy to be uh, here in the, uh, with the people of God as the house of God tonight. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look at, uh, begin reading in verse 21, and we'll read, read through the end of the chapter. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And then let's turn to chapter 5 as we're looking at the Beatitudes. And we're at at verse 7 of chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, tonight we can come and uh, Jesus promises to speak to us in his word. We thank you, Lord, that you, um, you love us and that you are inviting us into an experience of the treasures of the kingdom as we experience your mercy for us and show that mercy towards others. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to hear, to receive it, to believe it, to practice these things and enter into the joy of our Lord in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. About a month ago, our jaded and cynical nation was stunned by an, uh, an act of mercy. Uh, maybe you saw the news story. Uh, the occasion was the sentencing of Amber Geiger, a Dallas police officer, who had uh, shot and killed an innocent man, a Botham Jean, in his own home. 
Abotham was a devout, godly Christian uh, man, a black man involved in his church, involved in outreach, and his death at the age of 27 by a police officer was a devastating grief to his family. Uh, Amber Geiger was found guilty. Uh, the family was invited to speak at the sentencing if they had some words they would like to say to her. No one uh, could have imagined what happened next. ABC News reported the story under the headline, An Extraordinary Act of Mercy. Quote, former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger was sentenced on Wednesday to serve 10 years in prison for the fatal 2018 killing of an innocent man she shot when she mistakenly entered his apartment believing it was her own. But in a remarkable act of kindness, Jean's 18-year-old brother, Brant Jean, took the witness stand and spoke to Geiger saying, if you are truly sorry in your heart, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I watched a video of, uh, of that event and could not help but be moved to tears as this young man uh, spoke these words to the woman who killed his precious brother. And, and then he asked the judge, so he's sitting here and she's up here, and he says, would it be okay? Could I give her a hug? And the judge didn't respond right away. And, and, and he said, please? And the judge gave her a sentence. So he went around and, and um, Amber met him right in front of the, right in front of the judge. And she threw herself uh, around him, clinging to him, weeping, overwhelmed uh, by the mercy that he had shown to her. If you can see in the video clip, you see the judge also has her, her uh, hanky on. She's, she's wiping tears from her eyes. Um, the, the, the court reporters were stunned. They'd never seen anything like this. They'd never had, uh, there was no category to explain what had happened. In fact, the judge uh, took a, a, a pause, went into her chambers, got her personal Bible, and brought it to Amber and gave it to her and uh, was... Um, encouraging her, read this, this is life. It was, it was a stunning event. The, the question I, I was thinking is, what would happen if the whole church could love and show mercy like that? We live in a shame-based, outrage, uh, call-out culture. And the sins and failures of other people are, um, well, it's clickbait, right, for a ravenous audience and leverage for social agendas. Blessed are the aggrieved, those who shame and expose those who violate the rules or sin against them. And I'm not suggesting, obviously, that there's no place for uh, or need for justice. There absolutely is. But in our hyped up, victimized, and justice-clamoring social climate, the church has a magnificent opportunity to stun the world with something from another world, mercy. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful. And so tonight we come to the fifth beatitude, the beatitude of mercy. One of my commentators pointed out something that I had never really noticed before, and that is that um, the fifth beatitude is the first beatitude of what he calls the second table of the beatitudes. If you know the Ten Commandments, you have the first commandments, the first uh, five, um, uh, and relating to our relationship with God, and then the other relating to our relationship to other people, to men. And he says this is this. It's the same here that the first four beatitudes are beatitudes of faith, focusing on our relationship with God, confession, confession of sin, contrition, meekness, putting ourselves under the the will and rule of God. Uh, 
uh, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, seeking after God and all, uh, all His righteousness. But five through eight are beatitudes of love, focused on our relationships with fellow men. And um, it's not surprising that would be that way because we know that biblical faith and obedience always begins with God and then moves to uh, our relationship with other people. And so we need to begin tonight by defining the term because mercy is a vague, uh, vague term in our, in our culture, in our society. I think it, it has the generic sense of being nice to people in some way. But biblical mercy is, is much more robust. Biblical mercy is a heart of compassion that leads to practical and often sacrificial acts of grace and kindness in response to the needs, flaws, failures, and sins of other sinful and undeserving people. Two things I'd like to point out as we look at what mercy is. First of all, a biblical mercy has to do with God. We have to start there. Uh, Jesus is teaching us the values, the characteristics of the kingdom of God. These are the things that God delights in. That's what blessed means. Uh, this is what God loves, what he treasures. And uh, the Beatitudes also then uh, say that these are the things then that will mark those who belong to God. These are the characteristics that define the people who belong to the kingdom. Uh, but we need to begin by, uh, by recognizing that mercy is about God, because God throughout Scripture strains to show that He is a merciful God, a God who delights in mercy. And like the Dallas courtroom, the mercy of God is, is usually expressed in the context of sin, the context of uh, where there would rightfully be wrath and judgment. The first time we see the word in the Bible, actually, is in the context of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God is going to come and judge these wicked cities and all who live there because of their sin, but he has mercy on one man and his family, and that is Lot. And we're told specifically that the, the angel of the Lord came and led Lot and his wife and, uh, out, of the, out of the city and his daughters because the Lord was merciful to him. In other words, the Lord did not owe Lot uh, a pass out of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, a pass out of judgment. It would have been just if God had left them there, but the Lord was merciful to Lot, and he brought them out. This desire to show mercy is central to the character of God. In fact, in the uh, book of Exodus, when Moses is leading the Israelites uh, out of Egypt and through the wilderness, and, and Moses asks the Lord to show, uh, show me your glory. God says this in Exodus thirty three nineteen: I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and compassion on whom I will have compassion." God it wants to be known as a God of compassion and mercy and sovereignly then giving that compassion and mercy to whomever he will. The prophet Micah marvels at the merciful character of the Most High God. Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. As, as Micah surveyed the pagan gods all around Israel, the pagan gods of his day, saw many different 
options, but there were no gods who delighted in mercy. They delighted um, as the men, as the gods of men do, in what others can do for them. So the gods of the pagan gods maybe delight in sacrifice, um, maybe delight in obedience, uh, delight in justice in its own crude way, but none of the pagan gods delight in mercy, grace and kindness to the undeserving. None but Israel's God, the one living true God. It's a key part of the glory of the God of the Scripture. And it is a great encouragement to, the, to his people. Uh, if, particularly if you read the Psalms, you'll just see reference after reference to the mercy of God. Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This covenanted kindness and love of God will go with me every day of my life so that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 25, verse 6, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. When David begins his prayer of confession in Psalm 51, he begins with the plea, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. It's what the the publican prayed, of course, in the temple, have mercy, right, on me, the sinner. Mercy is about God. It's his unique delight and glory to show compassion and grace and kindness to those who do not deserve it. Secondly, biblical mercy has to do with godliness. It's interesting that Jesus begins his teaching on the Beatitudes of love with a Beatitude on mercy. Uh, In other words, kingdom morality begins with mercy. Kingdom morality is merciful. Uh, Dale, Frederick Dale Bruner, one of my commentators, pointed out there, that there is a piety that hardens. You know this, right? There's a, there's a kind of piety that makes men proud and stern, uh, that, that uh, makes people eager to point out wrongs, quick to punish the wrongdoer. There's a piety that delights in identifying and ostracizing sinners, exposing them. There's a piety that hardens. And the piety of Jesus' day was very much like that, particularly uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, They were the moral watchdogs, very quick to point out when someone was crossing the line, if someone was not observing the Sabbath as as they should. They were ready to pronounce sentences. And that might be why the Gospel of Matthew, which is written specifically for the Jewish audience, is the the only gospel where we have Jesus twice quoting Hosea 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In fact, if you have your Bible, just go to chapter 9 quickly, chapter 9, verse 10 through 13. We have one of those occasions. Helps us to get a sense of the culture Jesus was ministering to and, and, and why he's emphasizing mercy and, and what it looks like in that culture. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 10. As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors, bad people, and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
There's a piety that hardens, and then there's a piety that moves toward those who are in need, even sinners in need. And that's Jesus moving towards those who are in the greatest need. Mercy is the fifth beatitude then because it is the obvious and necessary response of those who have experienced the first four beatitudes. If you're a person who's confessed your sin and um, you have experienced the grief of, of sinning against the Lord and you mourn that and you are submitting uh, by the grace of God to his rule in your life and, and you're hungering for righteousness, you're a person who's received abundant mercy. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, you, the sinner. Uh, you will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will be satisfied. All the mercy of God is poured out upon you. In fact, it's the mercy of God that moved you to confession and contrition in the first place. And those then who are merciful, full of mercy, will show mercy. They'll be merciful. Jesus clearly teaches that mercy is um, not to just be received, but passed along. We are uh, kingdom, kingdom citizens, are channels of mercy, not cul-de-sacs. And one of the parables where Jesus most profoundly makes that point, we read in chapter 18. And the context of the parable is sin. Peter comes and says, Master, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven, up to seven times. Very, very high number in Peter's mind. And of course, the Lord responds, I say 77 times, and then he goes on to tell this story. That a man, a king, was settling accounts, and a man was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, Jesus' story would have raised eyebrows because 10,000 uh, is the highest number in the Greek language. And so, boys and girls, an English translation of 10,000 here would be a gazillion. It's an impossible number. It's an unfathomable number. No, no one even knows what a gazillion is, what it looks like. It's just way too much. Well, that's what the man owes the king. He owes him a gazillion dollars. So uh, in those days, um, if you owed debt, the, the, uh, the one who held the debt had every right to cast you into prison to pay the debt. Now, how that was supposed to work, I have no idea. You take a working man who um, had the ability to maybe work for you, but they, he would be cast into debtor's prison. It happened uh, up until several hundred years ago, even still in, like, in the UK. But this was very possible. You'd be thrown into debtor's prison. This man was going to be sold, he and all of his family, as slaves. Well, what can the man do? It's impossible to pay this debt. He could plunder Caesar's treasury and not have enough to pay this debt. So he does the only thing left to him, and he begs for mercy. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Of course, that's a flat-out lie. He can't pay back everything. But the stunning good news of the parable is... In verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, had mercy on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Jesus is shouting in the middle of a, of a cultural context that delights in um, obedience and justice and making people pay. And, uh, Jesus is shouting out the reality of a God who delights to show mercy. And that's, of course, the story of the gospel. It's what happened to you if you're a Christian. This is your story. 
You owed God an inestimable amount, amount you could never, ever pay back because you've committed innumerable sins against an infinitely good and loving God. And so the debt is real. It's, it's not a fantasy. But the king had mercy on us. When we could never pay it back, God made a way for the debt to be canceled. Paul speaks of it in Colossians 2, 12 through 13. And you who were dead in trespasses, God made alive, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. The debt is gone. It's canceled. It's been paid in the blood of Jesus Christ. All by the mercy of God. I'll never forget, I think I've told this story several times, but it, it, uh, I think it illustrates here. I was taking a class at Covenant Seminary. Scotty Smith was uh, leading the class, and uh, he began the class just by asking, uh, what's the kindest thing uh, someone ever did for you? Uh, one one uh, young lady in the class uh, said, well, every morning uh, when I was in college, I lived at home, but every morning that when I got up, my mom would have hot tea and freshly baked donuts for me. I'm like, what is her address? <laughs> That's really kind. Uh, so people shared the, the, the kindest things. And then this young man said, uh, well, when I was a senior in high school, uh, me and my best friend were out driving. Uh, I had a little bit to drink. I was going too fast. I crashed, and my best friend died in the accident. And uh, that happened late at night. The next morning, the father of that young man, my best friend, came into my room, and he said, I just want you to know I forgive you. The kindest thing that's ever happened to me. That will change that young man's life. Any time that young man is tempted to hold a grudge or to hold someone's sins against them, someone's wound that they caused him, right, to... If he would just stop, if he just stops and thinks about that man coming into his room and saying, I forgive you, the man who had a dead son to go bury. Well, how could you not forgive those who sinned against you? And that's exactly, you see, our story. We have a vastly greater story than even that young man. Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that Jesus spilt. And now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's our story, if we're Christians. And so you see, the story doesn't end, the parable doesn't end with the king's declaration, but it moves to the forgiven man's obligation. Jesus wants us to see that the gospel of God's merciful grace to you and to me, sinners, all of us, calls us to a new path of merciful living. The experience of mercy has to result in expressions of mercy. One of the things that's so beautiful about Brant John's forgiveness of the woman who killed his beloved brother was that it was a mercy so evidently rooted in the gospel. Botham was an outspoken Christian, and Brant's faith was evident as well. He, he said to this uh, Amber, he says, I personally want the best for you. I don't want you to rot and die in prison. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want for you. Give your life to Christ. I think giving your life to Christ 
is the best thing Botham would want for you. You see, that's, that's mercy that flows out of a gospel where, where a young 18-year-old is able to say to this woman, so undeserving, I want, I want the best for you, and the best for you, I'm convinced, is to receive the mercy that I've received to give your life to Christ. That's, that's beautiful gospel mercy. And Jesus has a beautiful promise to give to those who show mercy. They shall receive mercy. You see, Jesus is inviting us into the life of the kingdom where we, the citizens who have received such infinite kindness and mercy, we, we are then to show mercy and in showing mercy, entering deeper into the experience of mercy and then showing mercy again and entering even deeper into the experience. There's really something about forgiving people when they wrong you because God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ that brings a joy, a unique remembrance of what God actually, what it actually cost the Lord to forgive you. And the freedom that you have now in Jesus Christ to do what you never could do otherwise, never do before. The Bible calls us to live in the full remembrance of the oceans of God's mercy, that he does not deal with us ever as our sins deserve. It's a stunning thought. Why doesn't he? Because he crowns us with mercy. And though our sins are many, his mercy is more, as we sang this morning. His mercy is new every morning, never wears out, never exhausted. These are the precious promises of the gospel that Jesus Christ calls us to live in, to experience, to know personally. But this beatitude then also comes uh, with an implied warning that those who do not show mercy will not receive mercy. And what's implied in the beatitude is made explicit in the parable. When the unmerciful servant, the, the one who has been given so much, when he goes and demands that, the other, that his fellow servant pay back a minuscule amount, uh, the king is, is outraged and says to this, uh, this man, uh, deliver him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. That's, that's the uh, command. Send him away. And Jesus con concludes the parable with these words, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's his answer to Peter's question. It's not how often, as though there's a limit to be reached. It's can you possibly, having received the infinite mercy of God in Jesus Christ, refuse to grant mercy to those who sin against you. James 2.13 says, judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. The Lord's prayer suggests the same thing. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The Bible doesn't have uh, assurances of mercy for those who refuse to show mercy. And one of the surest ways to prevent uh, an experience of the love and grace and kindness and mercy of God to you is to refuse to show that love and mercy to those who sin against you. Now, that's easy to say. That's easy to say. And some of you are, are, are thinking this morning, uh, tonight, yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's easy to say for you, Pastor, 
But if you knew what I was going through, um, you'd think twice about suggesting that I have to actually show mercy to this person. I think we, we have to recognize, brothers and sisters, that, that we are going to have experiences in our life where we are deeply offended, deeply hurt, and deeply sinned against. And it's going to happen more than once. You will have opportunities to show mercy. I promise you. And some of you are maybe there right now. Someone has hurt you. And you, uh, you know you need to forgive. A part of you dearly wants to forgive. But you don't know how. Have you ever been there where you know you need to? You want to. You'd love to be like this young man. But in light of the hurt, in light of the pain, in, in light of the number of offenses, how do, you, how do you get there? Well, friends, Jesus is inviting us to get there. The Jesus who, who speaks these Beatitudes is the Jesus who showed mercy to those who nailed him to the cross, in other words, to you and to me. And that Jesus is able to give us the supernatural ability to forgive those who've done much less to us. I think we just have to acknowledge the only way that we're going to able to become people of mercy is if the Spirit of God actually gives us a vision of what Christ accomplished for us in a way that sets us free to show mercy to other people. This is a supernatural ability. It is not within you. It's okay to say, I can't. You can't. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. But if you abide in me, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my love, then you will bear fruit, great fruit, to the glory of God. And so the only hope that we have to become people of mercy is to dwell in the Savior of mercy, to experience the Spirit at work in a supernatural way, giving us the supernatural ability to do what others might think is foolish, what the world thinks is impossible, but what the gospel makes absolutely real. This is a, this is a, a beatitude inviting us to experience the love and the mercy of God for you in such a way that will empower you and move you, motivate you to show mercy to others. If, if tonight you just sense you just can't, that's okay. Acknowledge your weakness and your inability. Just remember there is a Savior who is able and who is inviting you. There's a power in the cross. There's a power in the Holy Spirit that can truly, actually transform your life and give you the, the ability to do what you never thought you could. A month ago, a cynical world got to see mercy in a stunning way through an 18-year-old young man embracing the woman who killed his beloved brother. Imagine what a witness the church could have in the world and for the glory of God if we would lay down the offenses or our, our hurt, our pain, if we would be willing or maybe even in, in the hurt and pain, embrace the hurt and pain and yet show mercy. Embrace one another. What a witness might we have in the world for the glory of God through simple acts of kindness and supernatural acts of mercy for those who sin against us and for a dying world in need. 
And let's pray that God begins that beautiful work right in our own life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you alone know all the hurt that's in this room tonight. because of sins that have been committed against us. And, and I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you care about that hurt. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you cared about sin in such a way that you came to bear it, to die because of it. But, Lord, to set us, the sinners, free. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't come to just empathize. You came to redeem. You came to set us free from the bondage of, and debt of our own sin, and you came to set us free to show mercy to those who sin against us. Jesus, we want to be this type of people. We want to be the people who are free to forgive and show mercy to those who sin against us and hurt us and wound us. We want to be people who experience the grace and the, and the love of God and the kindness of God to us in such a powerful way that it actually changes us. And we're able to lay down the hurt and, and forgive the offense. And in humility and love and joy, bear witness to the truth of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, and what the kingdom of God looks like. And so, Lord, I pray for your sheep tonight. I pray that you would do that work in our life by the power of Christ living in us Make us people of mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.